You guys all doing good in March so far? We're surviving. Devin, thank you for sharing. Uh, it is good to hear when God is answering prayer. And uh, so often, um, what we do poorly in our prayer lives is we forget to write them down. And we forget the things that we've prayed about, the things that we're expecting God to show up and, and do. And so uh, we often miss His answers because we, for whatever reason, tend to miss it. But there's times where God does something so big that it's hard to miss. And uh, it is great that you share that with us. Um, as we're going through Mark this morning, I want to just take a second and remind us where we've been a little bit so that we can kind of stay uh, together in the text. Uh, if you go back to, to Mark chapter 2, we actually see a sequence of stories or, or things that, that Mark is sharing with us. And it's about Jesus and it's the conflicts or controversies he ends up being in with the Pharisees and, and uh, diff different discussions. Uh, John the Baptist's disciples asked him about fasting a couple of weeks ago when Alan shared with us. And, and then we have other controversies that have come up. In, in Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, it was who can forgive sins? Remember Jesus when he forgave those sins and it really set, set the room on fire? Uh, and then in the, uh, Mark chapter 2, 15 through 17, he's accused of eating with sinners and that seems to cause a stir for the Pharisees. In 2, 18 through 22, we see John the Baptist's disciples asking about this fasting that they are not doing, that they're not following the same pattern. And then Last week, we saw in 2.23 through 28, the Sabbath. Jesus seems to be causing stirs in all of these things. And I, I, I just wonder at times if he was a good Christian, if he wouldn't have kept doing things on the Sabbath, right? Because um, why, I mean, he, he could go and be non-confrontational, probably. Uh, he could have healed the guy that we're going to see today, the withered hand. He could have done that, I don't know, Friday. Could have scheduled a, 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 an appointment with him on Sunday, healing hours are between 9 and 12. We probably would have done it that way to try and not create as much problems, right? And yet here Jesus is healing on the Sabbath again. I love this story partly because uh, we're going to see two different accounts, and we're going to look at that today. Um, we're actually going to look at the difference between these two accounts. And uh, read with me, if you would, this morning, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, as we begin. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man there was there with a withered hand. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm on Mark. See, notes don't help me at all. I'm not sure why I worry about these things. You are correct. Thank you, dear. Mark. It says it right here on my Bible, too. It's right big, the largest print on that page. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. I think one of the interesting things, uh, if you read that text, I want to illustrate something here in just a moment. And I, I'm going to need two volunteers. 
and I, I promise that it, it won't be anything really crazy. So if I don't get any, I'll, I'll, I'll pick a couple of you that I know will be honest. Um, but I want to illustrate something because if you turn in your Bibles, and, and I'm going to encourage you to do this, turn over to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at a verse there in just a second uh, because Jesus actually is responding to the Pharisees. In Mark, we don't, we don't see the whole story. We're just seeing one perspective. Um, have any of you guys ever had that happen where you've interacted on a, on a, you've seen something and you're telling the story and it's totally different? Uh, if you've been alive more than 40 years, you, you and your siblings probably recount stories and you have completely different accounts of what happened, right? Have any of you experienced that where you, you're, you swear that you remember this happening and your brother or your sister, they're like, that's not even close to what happened. In fact, I would, I, would, I would plead by case that my brother and sister are a little nuts when it comes to their recounting my driving as a teenager. They clearly are not living in the same reality that all of us are in. But when you get stories and they're retold, oftentimes you can see different perspectives from things, right? And we're going to look at one of those different perspectives. Uh, the, the first one is that Jesus is actually responding to the, the, the Pharisees here at this moment. If you look in Matthew chapter 12, and that's why I kept saying Matthew, because we're going to be in there a couple of times. Matthew chapter 12, verse 10. not going to read the whole story, but there's one specific verse in here in verse 10. And this is what it says. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. And that's, this is the Pharisees who are approaching Jesus, and they're asking him, is it lawful to heal? And I love how Jesus handles it, and we're going to look at how he handles it in just a minute, but I want to illustrate the differences of perspective. So I do have two volunteers. It'll be a, okay. Thank you, Roy. I need one other. Jacob, come on up. Okay, so this is what I need you to do. I would like for you both, J Jacob, I'm going to send you into the back room, but let me give you your instructions first. What you guys are going to do is you're both going to look at the mural and you're going to tell me whether Jesus is right-handed or left-handed. Go ahead. Well, I guess I should have checked to make sure they knew what their left and right hand was, wouldn't I? All right. Are you back there, Jacob? Okay. Come on out and tell us what you saw. What do you see? Is Jesus left-handed or right-handed in this mural? He's left-handed there. What did you see back there? He was right hand. Wait. They're both looking at the same exact picture. How is that possible? Oh, he's holding two games. There you go. It's a different perspective, right? Thank you, guys. That, that was all I needed. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Jacob, you did very well, by the way. Thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled. But you guys, we all know that that's translucent, right? So, you know, if you go to the other side of a picture, it looks differently. But the perspective is incredibly unique. Because if you look at that mural on the other side, Jesus is right-handed. Now, if we only saw that from that side, what would we say? Whoever did that picture thinks Jesus is right-handed. We're not saying he's right-handed. But that's what that, that perspective is so incredibly important. I love the fact that, and this is just my interpretation, I think that Mark is telling Peter's story, and Peter loves the fact that Jesus totally got the Pharisees here. Just guessing, Peter seemed to be a little bit of a hothead, and he tended to want to fight at times and be kind of aggressive. So when you see Mark's account, you actually see him showing Jesus getting the guys. He actually got the Pharisees. He stumped them. They couldn't talk. Isn't that a win in an argument? Good answer, gentlemen. Well done. 
I didn't see any one of you shake your heads. The amazing part to me in this, and we're going to see this as we go, is that Jesus wasn't trying to win anything here. I love how the text lays this out, but we need to understand the perspective. In Matthew, we see Matthew describes for us how the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to trap him with this question about healing on the Sabbath. And I'll be honest with you, I, I ran through my text and I did all kinds of research. I, I even looked it up online to see if there's any, where, where's the laws about not healing on the Sabbath? And there's, there's not much that we can find in the Bible that says you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. Uh, the law is not to work. As we saw last week, uh, Jesus counts the Pharisees or the, the priests going in and doing their work as being passed over, uh, held guiltless before God, even though they were working. So there's more going on here than just that. So in this process of recognizing that there are different perspectives and that we see that Mark and Matthew are both telling the story about the same account, the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus. Jesus is responding to the Pharisees, and I love how he does this. Isn't he brilliant? You just have to acknowledge when you see Jesus interacting and using the text and, and asking them questions and challenging the Pharisees, he does it in such an amazing way. Jesus questioned to the Pharisees, and there in his response, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to, to, to save a life or kill it? What's the answer? Come on, you guys got this one. Yes, right, it's lawful. That's all, that's good. That was an easy answer. Easy answer. Pharisees seem to have a real struggle uh, with wanting to keep laws. In, in Jesus, in, in a later text, we see this in Matthew 23. Follow with me in the text there, if you would, as we read an account of Jesus. And again, this is, this is towards the end of his ministry. I'm not, not quite as early as we are here in Mark. But look, look at what Jesus says about the, the Pharisees and how they deal with the people and they deal with the word. Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. But not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no other man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. When we think about Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and, and how he's addressing this, I, I love that in, 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 in Matthew, he, he explains how the Pharisees are living, how, how they tell them to do things. They make all these rules, but they don't practice what they preach. Have you guys ever heard that accusation about Christians? 
when you read through that text, at some point don't in, in your hearts, don't you go, man, I know a guy just like that. That's not the right response. I think for some reason in the heart of men, as we practice religion, as we practice following God and we do all the things that we do, I, I know we start out well-meaning and we desire to do the best that we can. And so often because of the frailty of our hearts and the, as Jeremiah says, the darkness, the deceptiveness of our hearts, that we can get lost and, and get distracted by those things. I am deeply convicted by the idea of um, the Pharisees elevating themselves to positions of honor and, and wanting to be set at the best pots in the house and where they probably have a parking spot labeled pastor right out in front of their church, you know, where, where only the pastor gets to park. Have you guys ever seen that? I, I worked at a church that had one of those. Why is he the closest one to the door? Is it escape? <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Maybe, maybe he's got to get out. But the tendency of the heart is to, is to elevate ourselves. And the Pharisees are doing that here. And, and Jesus isn't playing by the rules. He's not following their rules. And it's creating this huge issue for them. The challenge for us is to really to check our hearts. Is, is, that how, is that how we're functioning? Is that how we function in church, in our jobs, in our culture, in our society? Do we look down on those who don't have a view, the same view that we do and, and think of them in a way that doesn't honor the Lord? Uh, part of what I was convicted on this week was my own heart towards, um, towards religious people in general. And I don't know if you guys know this, but you, you can be pretty religious about things, right? Without having, like, a God that you're serving. You, or, well, at least not an identifiable God. Um, I, I would say most of our idols in this country we're very religious about. Um, how many of you guys have seen the Grubhub commercial? Have any of you seen the Grubhub commercial? Thank you. I saw that the other day. And it's this guy sitting in his office, and he opens up Grubhub, and he starts seeing all this food, and he goes into this this frenzy of having to order all the food. And, and he just starts ordering more and more food. And by the time they're done, they've moved all their whole office out. And the, the place is just stacked with food. And somehow he's good with, like, he's arrived. It, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Because it's one of the most blatant uh, uh, offerings of gluttony that I've ever seen. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. He's going through his phone, just order and order and order and order. And they're celebrating that. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. Isn't that not, that's not right. Yeah, but is that not me as well? Do I not do the same thing when I'm thumbing through my American Muscle catalog for my Mustang? Do I not do, is that not the same heart issue that I have? Oh, I, I got to get this put on there. I got to do this. I got to do this. Oh, that would be so cool. You guys know how good that thing would sound with the new exhaust? Is that not the same thing? When we think about the religious leaders and how they're addressing Jesus, I, I think we need to recognize a couple of key things. 
When Jesus was tested by the Pharisees, he questioned them. He, he took them back to the word of God and he said, is it not right for us to live this way? Is it not lawful on the Sabbath to heal, to do good or to do evil? Is it lawful to save a life or to kill it? And then Jesus, being who he was, he demonstrates the right answer by healing the man. Did you see it? You see that in the text? He goes ahead and heals him. He's frustrated. The Pharisees aren't saying anything, but he, he calls him forward and he heals him right in the middle. He demonstrates for them what the answer was. Luke 14. Jesus seems to have an issue with this. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but he heals a lot on the Sabbath. Verse uh, uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into the well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. There's more that's happening in this story, but the point is that Jesus lays out for them the reality of their, the, the truth of the answer to the question, the 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 crazy uh, expectations that they're having, and really the, the, the inconsistency in their theology. Why was it not okay for Jesus to heal? Why do you think it was? Do you think it was really because it was a breaking of the Sabbath law, or do you think it was because the whole country was turning to Jesus? He's healing people. Casting out demons. He's doing things that none of them could do. And the whole place is turning to him. They're being dethroned. They're losing control. I've got to tell you, part of me feels like, man, Jesus wasn't very nice about this. He's just right in their face. And he continues. But this is what was so exciting to me as I went through the text. And the first time I read over it, I don't know if you guys missed it. First time I read over it, I, I missed the word grieved. Did you catch that? Uh, he said he was angry, but he was also grieved at their hardness of heart. One of the characters, one of the truths of who Jesus is, appears to be a genuine compassion for the lost. Even for the Pharisees, do you, I do not believe, I do not believe that Jesus sat back and he goes, watch this, boys, I'm going to really stick it to them today. I believe that Jesus was desperately interested in giving them the opportunity to get it right. Desperately interested. And when it says that he was grieved, I believe that he experienced grief for the hardness of their heart because he recognized that they weren't going to get it. Over and over and over again, he presented them the opportunity to change. He presented them the truth of who he was and who the Word says that he was. When we think about hardness of heart, Uh, the, the reference that came to mind for me that jumped out as, as I was wrestling through the text and, uh, was Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 17 through 19. Paul here is explaining the new life that comes for the believer who 
who, who as a Gentile lived one way, but as a Christian becomes another. And we're just going to look at the, the Gentile side this morning. He says now in, in verse 17 of Ephesians 4, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He goes on to say that that's not how we learned Christ. That's not who we are in Christ. We shouldn't live that way. The truth is, I think if, if we evaluate our hearts right, that we can tend toward the hard heart, can't we? Pretty easily. Some of us, some of us are accused of being hard-headed, but I think for Jesus, that's really not the issue. It's when our hearts become calloused. We're we're not we're not overwhelmed by the sin in our lives. We're not convicted by the things that He says are 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 not right. Our hearts don't break for the lost. I, I don't know how many of you, every, every now and then I have this, and I, I part of me wishes I had it more often, but as I'm driving to church, I, I think through and I pray for the people that I drive by wondering if they know Jesus. I, I got to tell you, there's, there's moments where I've, I've, I've stopped my car out in Enius Valley. I had one particular Sunday where I realized I knew so many of those people that I was driving by, and I knew they weren't going to heaven. I knew it. And yet, what was my bother that morning? Whether the PowerPoint was working right. I don't know if you guys noticed we made a change this morning. Absolutely killed our IT guys. They did a great job today. Um, but we, we made a change. That was a little distracting for me this morning. Is that something that would cause us to stop? The, the, the Jesus perspective of the lost? How many people do you drive by every Sunday going to church? Listen, I, I, this is not about a guilt trip. This is about asking... Are our hearts soft to God? Do we have hearts of flesh? Or are they hard? Is, is there hardness of heart that we each experience? The Pharisees experience a moment with Jesus where He presents to them a truth of who God is and who He is and that their, their rules and their regulations do not honor the Lord. They're so focused on themselves. They're so focused on whatever it is that's going around them that they're actually not following God at that moment. And he gives them the right answer. Is it, is it lawful to do good or evil on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to give life or to kill? He gives them the answer of the heart of God, and they can't respond to him. They remain silent because of the hardness of their heart. If you've had children, you've experienced this probably at some point in your life, right? Where, where you get caught. How many of you as kids got caught and went, oh, and your parents were looking for the right answer. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. But we wouldn't give it to them. None of you guys are that bad? Holy cow. I was. 
I was really chatty when I thought I had something to say, and then when I thought they were winning, I'd shut right up. Horrible kid. Are we like that with the Lord? Do you guys, do we get that way with God? When he, when he presents with a, to us truth in the word or truth about our life, when, when his word exposes in our hearts the, an issue like, like Grubhub, I don't know. Maybe I, I may have an issue with shopping. Never thought I'd say that. Not on the shopping center channel. But man, I sure love my hot rod catalogs. I like looking at car parts. Would that be a sin issue for me? Do we have things like that in our lives that are consuming us that we we just we've become callous to that we don't even we're not even concerned about anymore? You know, I, I tease about this road rage thing. Um, I'm not teasing. It's 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 true. Uh, I was convicted again this week, and and I apologize if you guys get tired of hearing about this, but I, some of you have shared with me how you identify, so I'm going to continue to to try and be transparent. Um, I lost my cool last week because a guy was doing five miles an hour below, below the speed limit again. I don't know what it is with some of the people around here. I just don't understand it. It drives me nuts. But here's the conviction. So I'm, it, I, I wish it was. Let's make another law. Because that works so well, right? <clears throat> but here's the problem. I'm wrestling with this idea of having a hard heart to the things that are concerning to God. I'm, I'm feeling the conviction of, of running around and worried about my, my buying my car parts and doing all this other stuff and having lost people going to hell all around me the whole time. I'm dealing with all of that emotion, and I'm in my car going, you, I'm just losing my mind for this moment. thinking, And it was at that point, I'm in my car, and I just went, Lord, this is, this is what you're talking about. This is that moment. I'm getting angry about five miles an hour. I, only, I didn't even have to go another mile to get where I was going. You know how much time I'm losing in my life right there? Seconds. Seconds. And I'm getting upset about it. Well, I'm thinking about illustrations from my sermon as I'm driving down the road to go do something else. At some point, I want to go, ah, How? How, how is this still such an issue? How is this such a battle for me? It, it, it's because of the challenges with our heart. It's because our, I believe that we, in the flesh, in, in our weakness, in, in, as we wrestle with this earth, we all struggle with this to different degrees and in different areas. Whether it's things you want, whether it's things you don't want, whether it's positions that we wish we had or jobs that we wish we had, you know, I've said this before, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but every now and then pastors think that if they had somebody else's flock, their life would be easier. Isn't that horrible? Some of y'all think if you had a different pastor, your life would be easier. We all have things in our lives that we go through and that are like this. And, and as I was thinking through, what's the response to this? What should the Pharisees' response have been to God? What should our response be to God? 
when he reveals to us through his word something that doesn't line up with his character, a truth or a policy or a law or regulation or expectation that we've placed on either ourselves or one another around us, or maybe it's even on him. Maybe we've even got to the point where we look at Jesus and we say, you owe me these things. I shouldn't be dealing with sinuses. I'm, 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 your, I'm your son and I'm supposed to preach on Sundays. I shouldn't have this. I should feel good every Sunday, right? Because then I'd be better. Shouldn't have conflict with our spouses when we go to church on Sundays. That should never happen. That distracts us from worshiping God. We would all love to have those things in place, but I think, I think that the, the reality is and the right response comes from King David in Psalm 51. When we think through how we should respond to a holy God, I love that song, You Are God Alone. It's one of my favorite songs. You are God alone. From before time began, you were on your throne. Man, do we see him that way? Do we picture him that way? When we're wrestling with issues in life, when we're being confronted, when life isn't going the way we want it, do we realize that he is that God, that he's on his throne? Look at what King David says. And, and uh, just to remind you, this is after Nathaniel the prophet confronts him on the sin in his life, the sin of Bathsheba and murder, adultery and murder. By the way, I love this. It's the two things that Jesus highlights in his in his. <laughs> Uh, Sermon on the Mount Beatitudes. He goes after those two laws. Don't commit murder and don't commit adultery. And he highlights those two. And I, I, I think there's a connection. I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet what he was trying to say if, there was a, if it's bigger than this. But I just love the fact that that's the man who writes this psalm. Follow along with me in Psalm 51, verse 1. It says, Have mercy on me, O God according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear, your, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guilt. <clears throat> Deliver me from blood guilt. Guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. 
you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. As we interact with our Lord and Savior today, as we consider what his word says for you and for me, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees on allowing their religion to get in the way of their relationship with God. They were deceived by all of their religious activities to think that they were serving the Lord. And Jesus shows up and he begins to point them in the right direction. And their response to God, their response to Jesus at that moment, the words of our Lord and Savior were silence. And they left there and went and conspired with their enemies or their, uh, they weren't friends, Herodians, on how they could kill Jesus. Brothers and sisters, as we consider what it means for you and for me to learn from these examples, to learn from the stories that we see in the text, Unfortunately, I think the danger for us is that we can be much closer to Pharisees than we are the disciples at times. Because we live in a culture that is so easy that I feel like I'm suffering because I have a runny nose. We live in a culture that says you should have everything that you want. It doesn't matter about the money. You don't need that money. We'll give you a bit. We'll give you a great credit card. You can have it now. We live in a culture that says that if you don't feel good, if you're not comfortable, if if you don't whatever the issues are, that you have a right to behave or act whatever way you want. We even have in our religious culture this idea that God owes us something that that we can demand of Him health and wealth. that we can require him to show up and do things. Did you guys, I I don't know if you're aware of this, but I think there's times where I actually expect him to make all of us get along. You guys are aware that we live in a culture where conflict is somehow bad? I, I, I don't see that in this text. It looks like conflict causes maturity and growth. Probably what he's working on. But if it was up to me, I would ask him to make it all go away. Can't we all just get along? Can't we just have peace-filled lives with no conflict? Because that would make us better, right? We would grow and mature in that environment. I believe that the Pharisees saw Jesus as a threat to to their religious kingdom. And even though they knew the answers, even though they saw the truth, they had the word and they knew what it said, they rejected it. And they, their hearts were hardened. And ultimately, God used it for his purposes and Jesus was placed on the cross for you and for me. But the right response for the children of God, I believe, is Psalm 51. That's how you and I should come before the throne of God. I love the fact that David doesn't 
he acknowledges his weakness. He acknowledges his, his sin. He acknowledges God's righteousness. I love one of the one of the text translations. I think I think it says, "If you will, um, if if you will allow me to, I will teach. I will teach your ways, God." So the challenge we have, I think, before us, but what I want to encourage you to consider today is what's your response going to be to God? What is your response to Him this week? If we're His children, He's working on something in each of us. Whatever that is. I don't know what your problems are. I have enough of my own. But whatever it is, He's working on something in each one of us. What is our response to Him today? Are we going to harden our hearts? Are we going to are we going to stiffen our neck and say, "Man, Lord, ah, not interested in doing it your way. Not interested in letting go of that. Not interested in giving that up." Are we going to respond like David? Say, "Lord, take it all. Wash me clean. Make me who you've called me to be." I think that's the challenge for each of us. And as you guys know, I'm I I, uh, I struggle with goofy things. I I have other uh, other struggles that are significant and real. But I think as the Lord challenges and he as he works in each of our lives, um, I had a friend of mine, good friend of mine. He he used to say that, uh, man, it seems like as soon as I start getting this one thing figured out, he throws three more things at me to work on. I don't know if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but it sure seems like that's how it works, right? As, as soon as you get one thing figured out, he's like, that's awesome. Way to go, kid. Here's two more, a couple more I'd like you to start working on. And we can become pretty discouraged with that. And so I think having that right perspective and knowing and recognizing that this is the God who is on his throne before time began. It's the God who created this earth, who created you and me, who made this whole plan, who said that this is what he intends to do for his children, and it's good. Now, can we submit to that? I'm going to close in prayer. And uh, again, I just want you to take a minute as we sit quietly. And I want to challenge you this morning to ask the Lord, God, what is it that I'm hardening my heart on? What is it that, that I am not responding to you like David did in Psalm 51? Lord, what would it be that you would have me to acknowledge in my life as sin? Would you just take a second and do that personally, just privately, you and, and, and just yourself? Father, I pray that this week as we wrestle with who you are and, and how we respond to you, Lord, are we going to respond like the Pharisees with hard hearts or are we going to respond like David when he was convicted and fall on our face before a holy and righteous God? Lord, I pray that you would remove the distractions from our lives this week, that you would help us to see who you are, that we would be able to hear from you this week, hear from your, your word, in our time of prayer, 
maybe a brother or sister that comes along and shares what you're doing in their lives. But whatever it is, God, that we would hear from you what you would have us to address. God, that we would not be like the Pharisees. That we would not stand in opposition to what you are doing or what you're teaching us, but that we would surrender. That we would bow our hearts before you and that we would acknowledge our need for you to purify and cleanse our hearts. David's surrender in Psalm 51 is one of the great texts of our Bible. Um, And yet, Lord, even when I read it, I, I feel at times... That, I, that I'm not really there. But I don't really want you to come in and, and to dig up all the stuff and to put it all right. Because I really do like a lot of the things that I hold on to in my life. Which means that in many ways, God, I'm probably a lot like the Pharisees. And I love the idea of following you. I'm not sure if I love you. God, would you overwhelm our hearts with that reality, with that truth? Would you change them where you need to? Because we pray.